Chapter 18 of Under Wellington's Command by G. A. Henty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Charles Sapp. Under Wellington's Command by G. A. Henty. Chapter 18 The Sack of a City. For the next four days, the troops worked night and day the operations being carried on under a tremendous fire from the French batteries, the trenches being carried along the whole line of the small Tison. On the night of the 13th, the convent of Santa Cruz was captured. On the 14th, the batteries opened fire against the town, and before morning, the 40th Regiment carried the convent to San Francisco, and thus established itself within the suburb, which was enclosed by an entrenchment that the Spanish had thrown up there during the last siege. The French artillery was very powerful, and at times overpowered that of the besiegers. Some gallant sorties were also made, but by the 19th, two breaches were effected in the ramparts, and preparations were made for an assault. That evening, Terence received an order to march at once to the place and to join Pax Portuguese. The assault was to be made by the 3rd and Light Divisions, aided by Pax's command and Colonel O'Toole's Portuguese riflemen. The main British army lay along the Coa, and readiness to advance at once and give battle should Marmont come up to the assistance of the besieged town. On the 19th, both the breaches were pronounced practicable, and during the day the guns of the besiegers were directed against the artillery on the ramparts, while the storming parties prepared for their work. The 3rd Division was to attack the Great Breach, the Light Division was to make for the Small Breach, and upon entering the enclosure known as the Fosse Bray, a portion were to turn and enter the town by the Salamanca gate, while the others were to penetrate by the breach. Colonel O'Toole, with his Portuguese, was to cross the river and to aid the right attack, while Pack's Portuguese were to make a false attack on the San Jago gate on the other side of the town and to convert this into a real assault if the defense should prove feeble. The French scarcely appeared conscious that the critical moment was at hand, but they had raised breastworks along the tops of both breaches and were perfectly prepared for the assault. When the signal was given, the attack was begun on the right. The 5th, 77th, and 94th regiments rushed from the convent of Santa Cruz, leapt down into the Fosse Bray, and made their way to the foot of the Great Breach, which they reached at the same moment as the rest of the 3rd Division, who had run down from the small Tison. A terrible fire was opened upon them, but, undismayed by shell, grape, and musketry from the ramparts and houses, they drove the French behind their new work. Here, however, the enemy stood so stoutly that no progress could be made. Unable to cross the obstacle, the troops nevertheless maintained their position, although suffering terrible losses from the French fire. Equally furious was the attack on the small breach by the light division. After a few minutes' fighting, they succeeded in bursting through the ranks of the defenders, and then turning to the right, fought their way along the ramparts until they reached the top of the great breach. The French there wavered on finding that their flank was turned, and the third division, seizing the opportunity, hurled themselves upon them, and this breach was also won. O'Toole's attack was successful, and on the other side of the town, Pax's Portuguese, meeting with no resistance, had blown open the gate of San Jago and had also entered the town. Here a terrible scene took place, and the British troops sullied their victory by the wildest and most horrible excesses. They had neither forgotten nor forgiven the treatment they had experienced at the hands of the Spanish, both before and after the Battle of Talavera, 
when they were almost starved, while the Spaniards had abundant supplies, and yet left the British wounded unattended to die of starvation in the hospitals while they evacuated the city. From that time, their animosity against the Spaniards had been vastly greater than their feeling against the French, who had always behaved as gallant enemies and had treated their wounded and prisoners with the greatest kindness. Now this long pent-up feeling burst out, and murder, rapine, and violence of all sorts raged for some hours, wholly without check. Officers who endeavored to protect the hapless inhabitants were shot down, all commands were unheeded, and abominable atrocities were perpetrated. Some share of the blame rests with Wellington and his staff, who had taken no measures whatever for maintaining order in the town, when possession should be gained of it, a provision which should never be omitted in the case of an assault. The Portuguese, whose animosity against the Spaniards was equally bitter, imitated the example of the British comrades. Fires broke out in several places, which added to the horror of the scene. The castle was still held by the French, the troops having retreated there as soon as the breach had been carried. There was not, therefore, even the excuse of the excitement of street fighting to be made for the conduct of the victors. In vain, Terence and his officers endeavored to keep their men together. By threes and fours, these scattered down the side streets to join the searchers for plunder, until at last he remained alone with his British and Portuguese officers. This is horrible! he said to Ryan as the shouts, shrieks, and screams told that the work of murder as well as plunder was being carried on. It is evident that single-handed nothing can be done. I propose that we divide into two parties and take these two houses standing together under our protection. We will have two English officers with each, as there is no chance of the soldiers listening to a Portuguese officer. How many are there of us? There were the twelve captains and twenty subalterns. Bull and McWitty, you take half of them. Colonel Herrera, Ryan, and I will take the other half. When you have once obtained a mission, barricade the door and lower windows with furniture. When the rioters arrive, show yourselves at the windows, and say that you have orders to protect the houses from insult, and if any attack is made, you will carry out your orders at whatever cost. When they see four British officers at the windows, they will suppose that special instructions have been given us with respect to these two houses. If they attack, we must each defend ourselves to the last, holding the stairs that they break in. If only our house is attacked, come with half your force to our assistance, and we will do the same to you. We can get along by those balconies without coming down into the street. The force was at once divided. Terence knocked at the door of one house, and his majors at that of the other. No answer was received, but as they continued to knock with such violence that it seemed as if they were about to break down the doors, these were presently opened. Terence entered. A Spanish gentleman, behind whom stood a number of trembling servants, advanced. "'What would you have, signor?' he asked. "'I see you are an officer. Surely you cannot menace with violence those who are your allies?' "'You are right, signor, but unfortunately our troops have shaken off all discipline and are pillaging and, I am afraid, murdering. The men of my own regiment have joined the rest, and I, with my officers, finding ourselves powerless, I resolved at least to protect your mansion and the next from our maddened troops. I can give you my word of honor that I and these gentlemen, who are all my officers, have come as friends, and are determined to defend until the last your mansion, which happened to be the first we came to. A similar party is taking charge of the next house, and if necessary, we can join forces. I thank you indeed, sir. I am the Count de Montego, 
I have my wife and daughters here, and in their name as well as my own, I thank you most cordially. I have some twenty men, sir. Alone we can do nothing, but they will aid you in every way if you will but give your orders. In the first place, Count, we will move as many articles of heavy furniture as possible against the doors. I see that your lower windows are all barred. We had better place mattresses behind them to prevent shot from penetrating. I hope, however, that it will not come to that, and that I shall be able to persuade any that may come along that these houses are under special protection. The Count at once ordered his servants to carry out the British officer's instructions, and the whole party were soon engaged in piling heavy furniture against the door. The Count had gone out to allay the fears of his wife and daughters, who with the female servants were gathered in terrible anxiety in the drawing-room above. As soon as the preparations were completed, Terence, Ryan, and Herrera went upstairs, and after being introduced to the ladies, who were now to some extent reassured, Terence went out on to the balcony with Ryan, as he thought it was best that only British officers should show themselves. Terrible had the scene had been before. It was even worse now. The soldiers had everywhere broken into the cellars, and numbers of them were already drunk. Many discharged their muskets recklessly, some quarreled among themselves as to the spoil they had taken, and fierce fights occurred. In two or three minutes, Bold and McWitty appeared on the balcony of the next house. "'I see it is too far to get across,' Terence said. "'If you cannot find a plank, set half a dozen men to prize up a couple from the floor.' Presently, a number of soldiers came running along down the street. "'Air, do big houses,' one shouted. "'There ought to be plenty of plunder air.' halt terence shouted these houses are under special protection and as you see i myself and three other british officers are placed here to see that no one enters i have a strong force under my orders and anyone attempting to break down the doors will be shot instantly and all who aid him will be subsequently tried and hung the men on seeing four british officers three of them in the dress of field officers and one the speaker in the uniform of the staff at once drew back. Come on, mates, one said as they stood indecisive. We shall only lose time here, while others are getting as much plunder as they can carry. Let us go on. But as the wine took effect, others who came along were less disposed to listen to orders. Gradually gathering, until they were in considerable numbers, several shots were fired at the officers, and one man, advancing to the steps, began to hammer at the door with the butt-end of his musket. Terence leaned over the balcony, and drawing his pistol and taking a steady aim, fired, and the man fell with a sharp cry. A number of shots were fired from below, but the men were too unsteady to take aim, and Terence was uninjured. Again he stood up. Men, he shouted, you have shown yourselves to be brave soldiers today. Are you now going to disgrace yourselves by mutiny against officers who are doing their duty, thereby running the risk of being tried and hung? I tell you again that these houses are both defended by a strong force and that we shall protect them at all hazard. Go elsewhere where booty is to be more easily obtained. His words, however, were unheeded. Some more shots were fired, and then there was a general rush at the doors while another party attacked that at the next house. The officers were all provided with pistols, and Terence hurried below with Ryan. Do not fire, he said to the others, until they break down the door. It will take them some time, 
and at any moment fresh troops may be marched in to restore order. The door was a strong one, and backed as it was, it resisted for a considerable time. Those who first attacked it speedily broke the stocks of their guns and had to make way for others. Presently the attack ceased suddenly. Run upstairs, Dickie, and see what they are doing and how things are going next door. Ryan soon returned. They are bringing furniture and a lot of straw from the houses opposite. They are broken down the next door, but have not got in yet. Let the servants at once set to work to draw pails of water from the well in the courtyard and carry them upstairs. Ryan, you had better go into the next house and see if they are pressed. Tell them that they must hold out without my help for a short time. I'm going to send six officers out by the back of the house to collect some of our men together. Another will be in readiness to open the back door as soon as they return. I shall keep them from firing the pile as long as I can. The Count has two double-barreled guns. I don't want to use them if I can help it, but they shall not get in here. Do you stop and help next door? There can be no fighting here yet, for if they do burn the door, it will be a long time before they can get in. The native officers started at once. They were of opinion that they would soon be able to bring in a good many of their men, for the Portuguese are a sober race, and few would have got intoxicated. Most of the men would soon find that there was not much booty to be obtained, and that even what they got would probably be snatched from them by the English soldiers, and would consequently be glad to return to their duty again. An officer took his place at the back door, in readiness to remove the bars. Another went up with Terence to the first floor, and the remainder stopped in the hall, with six of the men's servants. Terence went upstairs and looked down into the street. There was a lot of furniture with bundles of faggots and straw piled there. Now, he said to the officer, empty these pails at once. The servants will soon bring some more up. I will stand here with these guns and fire at anyone who interferes with you. Just come out into the balcony, empty your pails over, and go back at once. You need scarcely show yourself, and there is not much chance of your being hit by those drunken rascals. Yells and shouts of rage were heard below as the water was thrown over. As fast as the pails were emptied, the servants carried them off and refilled them. At last, two soldiers appeared from a house opposite with blazing torches. Guns had been loaded by the Count with small shot, as Terence was anxious not to take life. As soon as the two men appeared, he raised the fowling piece to his shoulder and fired both barrels in quick succession. With a yell of pain, the soldiers dropped their torches. One fell to the ground, the other clapped his hands to his face, and ran down the street in an agony as if half mad. Half a dozen muskets were discharged, but Terence had stepped back the moment he had fired, and handed the gun to the Count, who was standing behind him to recharge. Two other soldiers picked up the torches, but dropped them as Terence again fired. Another man snatched up one of them and flung it across the street. It fell upon some straw that had been thoroughly soaked by the water and burned out there harmlessly. It was not long before the servants began to arrive with the full buckets, and when these also had been emptied, Terence, glancing over, had little fear that the pile could now be lighted. The pails were sent down again, and he waited for the next move. The fighting had ceased at the other door, the soldiers having drawn back from the barricade to see the effect of the fire. Ryan ran across the blank and rejoined Terence. Things are quiet there for the present, he said. There has not been much harm done. When they had partly broken down the door, they began firing through it. Bully McWitty kept the others back from the line of fire, and not a pistol has been discharged yet. 
Bull cut down one fellow who tried to climb over the barricade, but otherwise no blood has been shed on either side. Help was coming now. One of the Portuguese officers was admitted, with twenty-four men that he had picked up. The others came in rapidly, and within a quarter of an hour, three hundred men were assembled. All were sober and looked thoroughly ashamed of themselves as they were formed up in the courtyard. Terence went down to them. He said no word of blame. Now, men, he said, you have to retrieve your characters. Half of you will post yourselves at the windows from the ground floor to the top of the house. You are not to show yourselves till you receive orders to do so. You are not to load your guns, but as you peer at the windows, point them down into the street. The officers will post you five at each window. The rest of you are at once to clear away the furniture in the hall, and when you receive the order, throw open the door and pour out, forming across the street as you do so. Captain Ryan will be in command of you. You are not to load, but to clear the street with your bayonets. If any of the soldiers are too drunk to get out of your way, knock them down with the butt end of your muskets. But if they rush at you, use your bayonets. He went round the house and saw that five men were in readiness at each window looking into the street. He ordered them to leave the doors open. A pistol will be fired from the first landing, he said. That will be the signal. Then show yourselves at once. He waited until Ryan's party had cleared away the furniture. He then went out onto the balcony and addressed the crowd of soldiers who were standing, uncertain what step to take next, many of them having already gone off in search of plunder elsewhere. Listen to me, men, he shouted. Hitherto I have refrained from employing force against men who, after behaving as heroes, are now acting like madmen, but I shall do so no longer. I will give you two minutes to clear off, and anyone who remains at the end of that time will have to take his chance. Derisive shouts and threats arose in reply. He turned round and nodded to the Count, who was standing at the door of the room with a pistol in his hand. He raised it and fired, and in a moment soldiers appeared at every window, menacing the crowd below with their rifles. At the same moment the door opened, and the Portuguese poured out, with Ryan at their head, trampling over the pile raised in front of it. There was a moment of stupefied dismay amongst the soldiers. Hitherto none had believed that there were any in the houses, with the exception of a few officers, and the sudden appearance of a hundred men at the windows, and a number pouring out through the door, took them so completely by surprise that there was not even a thought of resistance. Men who had faced the terrors of the deadly breaches turned and fled, and save a few leaning stupidly against the opposite wall, none remained by the time Ryan had formed up the two lines across the street. Each of these advanced a short distance, and were at once joined by the defenders of the other house, and by those at the windows. Do you take command of one line, Bull, and you of the other, McWitty? I don't think that we shall be meddled with, but should any of them return and attack you, you will first try and persuade them to go away quietly. If they still attack, you will at once fire upon them. Harara, will you send out all your officers and bring the men in at the back doors as before? We shall soon have the greater part of the regiment here, and with them we can hold the street, if necessary, against any force that is likely to attack it. In half an hour, indeed, more than fifteen hundred men had been rallied, and while two lines, each a hundred strong, were formed across the street, some eighty yards apart, the rest were drawn up in a solid body in the center. Terence's order being that, if attacked in force, Half of them were to at once enter the houses on both sides of the street, and to man the windows. 
He felt sure, however, that the sight of so strong a force would be sufficient to prevent the rioters interfering with them. The soldiers being, for the most part, too drunk to act together or with a common object. This indeed proved to be the case. Parties at times came down the street, but on seeing the dark lines of troops drawn up, they retired immediately on being hailed by the English officers and slunk off under the belief that a large body of troops had entered the town. An hour later, a mounted officer, followed by some five or six others and some orderlies, rode up. "'What troops are these?' the officer asked. "'The Minhol Portuguese Regiment, General,' Bull answered, commanded by Colonel O'Connor. The general rode on, the line opened, and he and his staff passed through. Terence, who had posted himself in the balcony, so as to have a view of the whole street, at once ran down. Two of the men with torches followed him. On approaching, he at once recognized the officer as General Bernard, who commanded one of the brigades of the Light Division. "'So, your regiment has remained firm, Colonel O'Connor,' the general said. "'I am sorry to say, sir, that it did not, at first, but scattered like the rest of the troops. My officers and myself for some time defended these two large houses from the attack of the soldiery. Matters became very serious, and I then sent out some of my officers, who soon collected three hundred men, which sufficed to disperse the rioters without our being obliged to fire a shot. The officers then again went out, and now between fifteen and sixteen hundred men are here. I am glad you have come, sir, for I felt in a great difficulty. It was hard to stay here inactive, when I was aware that the town was being sacked, and atrocities of every kind perpetrated, but upon the other hand, I dare not undertake the responsibility of attempting to clear the streets. Such an attempt would probably end in desperate fighting. It might have resulted in heavy loss on both sides, and have caused such ill-feeling between the British and Portuguese troops as to seriously interfere with the general dispositions for the campaign. No doubt you have taken the best course that could be pursued, Colonel O'Connor, but I must take on myself the responsibility of doing something. My appearance at the head of your regiment will have some effect upon the men of the Light Division, and those who are sober will, no doubt, rally round me, though hitherto my efforts have been altogether powerless. All the officers will, of course, join us at once. I fear that many have been killed trying to protect the inhabitants, but now that we have at least got a nucleus of good troops, I have no doubt that we shall be successful. Have you any torches? There is a supply of them in the house, sir. Get them all lighted, and divide them among the men. As soon as you have done this, form the regiment into column. Are they to load, sir? Yes, the general said shortly, but instruct your officers that no one is to fire without orders, and that the sound of firing at the head of the column is not to be considered as a signal for the rest to open fire, though it may be necessary to shoot some of these insubordinate scoundrels. By the way, I think it will be best that only the leading company should load. The rest have their bayonets and can use them if attacked. Some forty torches were handed over by the Count. These were lighted and distributed along the line, ten being carried by the leading company. You have bugles, Colonel. Yes, sir. There is one to each company. Let them all come to the front and play the assembly as they march on. Now will you ride at their head by my side, sir? Dismount one of my orderlies and take his horse. By the time all the preparations were completed, they had been joined by nearly two hundred more men. Just before they started, Terence said, Would it not be well, General, if I were to tell off a dozen parties of twenty men, each under the command of a steady non-commissioned officer, 
to enter the houses on each side of the road as we go along, and to clear out any soldiers they may find there? Certainly, but I think that when they see the regiment marching along and hear the bugles, they will clear out fast enough of their own accord. With the bugles blowing, the regiment started. Twenty men with an officer had been left behind at each of the houses they had defended in case parties of marauders should arrive and endeavor to obtain an entrance. As they marched by, men appeared at the windows. Most of these were soldiers who, with an exclamation of alarm when they saw the general, followed by two battalions in perfect order, hastily ran down and made their escape by the backs of the houses, or came quietly out and, forming in some sort of order, accompanied the regiment. Several shots were heard behind as the surge parties cleared out those who had remained in the houses, and presently the force entered the main square of the town and halted in its center, the bugle still blowing the assembly. Numbers of officers at once ran up, and many of the more sober soldiers. Form them up as they arrive, the general said to the officers. In a few minutes, some five hundred men had gathered. Do you break your regiment into four columns, Colonel O'Connor? A fourth of these men shall go with each, with a strong party of officers. The soldiers will be less inclined to resist if they see their own comrades and officers with their troops. Then if the latter were alone, I will take the command of one column myself. Do you take that of another? Colonel Strong, will you join one of the majors of Colonel O'Connor's regiment? And will you, Major Hughes, join the other? All soldiers who do not at once obey your summons to fall in will be taken prisoners, and those who use violence you will shoot without hesitation. All drunken men are to be picked up and sent back here. Place a strong guard over them and see that they do not make off again. Five minutes later, the four columns start in in different directions. A few soldiers, who were inflamed by drink, fired at those who summoned them to surrender, and were instantly shot and in half an hour the terrible din that had filled the air had quieted down. Morning was breaking now. In the great square, officers were busy drawing up the men who had been brought in, in order of their regiments. The inhabitants issued from their houses, collected the bodies of those who had been killed in the streets, and carried them into their homes, and sounds of wailing and lamentation rose from every house. Lord Wellington now rode in with his staff. The regiments that had disgraced themselves were at once marched out of the town, and the places taken by those of other divisions. But nothing could repair the damage that had been done, and the doings of that night excited throughout Spain a feeling of hostility to the British that has scarcely subsided to this day, and was heightened by the equally bad conduct of the troops at the storming of Badajoz. Long before the arrival of Lord Wellington, the whole of the Minho regiment had rejoined. Terence ordered that the latecomers should not be permitted to fall in with their companies, but should remain as a separate body. He marched the regiment to a quiet spot in the suburbs, and ordered them to form in a hollow square, with the men who had last joined in the center. These he addressed sternly. For the first time, he said, since this regiment was formed, I am ashamed of my men. I had thought that I could rely upon you under all circumstances. I find this is not so and that the greed for plunder has, at once, broken down the bonds of discipline. Those who, the moment they were called upon, returned to their colors, I can forgive, seeing that the British regiment set them so bad an example. But you men, who to the last remain insubordinate, I cannot forgive. You have disgraced not only yourselves, but your regiment, and I shall request Lord Wellington to attach you to some other force. I only want to command men I can rely upon. 
a loud chorus of lament and entreaty rose from the men it is as painful to me as it is to you terence went on raising his hands for silence how proud i should have been if this morning i could have met the general and said that the regiment he had been good enough to praise so highly several times had proved trustworthy instead of having to report that every man deserted his officers and that many continued the evil work of pillage and worse to the end many of the men wept loudly others dropped upon their knees and implored terence to forgive them he had already instructed his two majors what was to be done and they and the twelve captains now stepped forward colonel bull said in a loud voice that could be heard over all the square we as the officers of the minho regiment thoroughly agree with you in all that you have said and feel deeply the disgrace the conduct of these men has brought upon it we trust that you will have mercy on them and we are ready to promise in their name that never again will they so offend and that their future conduct will show how deeply they repent of their error there was a general cry from the men of indeed we do punish us as you like colonel but don't send us away from the regiment terence stood as if hesitating for some time then he said i cannot resist the prayer of your officers men and i am willing to believe that you deeply regret the disgrace you have brought upon us all of one thing i am determined upon not one man in the regiment shall be any the better for his share in this night's work and that this accursed plunder shall not be retained a blanket will be spread out here in front of me and the regiment will pass along before me by twos each man as he files by will empty out the contents of his pockets and swear solemnly that he has retained no object to spoil whatever after that is over i shall have an inspection of kits and if any article of value is found concealed i will hand over its owner to the provost marshal to be shot forthwith the operation took upwards of two hours at her robert's suggestion a table was brought out a crucifix placed upon it and each man as he came up after emptying out his pockets swore solemnly laying his hand upon the table that he had given up all the spoil he had collected terence could not help smiling at the scene the regiment presented before the men began to file past no small proportion of the men stripped off their coats and unwound from their bodies rolls of silk costly veils and other stuffs of which they had taken possession all these were laid down by the side of the blankets on which a pile of gold and silver coins a great number of rings brooches and bracelets had accumulated by the time the whole had passed by the money cannot be restored terence said to harara therefore set four non-commissioned officers to count it out had the jewels all placed in a bag let all the stuffs and garments be made into bundles i shall be obliged if you will take a sufficient number of men to carry them and to go down yourself with a guard of twenty men to the syndic or whatever they call their hand man and hand them over to him say that the minho regiment returns the spoil it had captured and deeply regrets his conduct will you say that i beg him to divide the money among the sufferers most in need of it and to dispose the jewels and other things where they can be seen and to issue a notice to the inhabitants that all can come and inspect them and those who can bring proof that any of the articles belong to them can take them away the regiment was by this time formed up again and terence addressing them told them of the orders that he had given saying that as the regiment had made all the compensation in their power and had rid itself of the spoils of a people whom they had professedly come to aid it could now look the spaniards in the face again just as he had concluded a staff officer rode up 
"'Lord Wellington wishes to speak to you, Colonel,' he said. "'We have been looking about for you everywhere, but your regiment seemed to have vanished.' "'Then I must leave the work of inspecting the kits to you, Harara. "'You will see that every article is unfolded and closely examined, "'and place every man in whose kit anything is discovered under arrest at once. "'I trust that you will not find anything, but if you do, "'place a strong guard over the prisoners, with loaded muskets, "'and orders to shoot any one of them who tries to escape.' Walking by the side of the staff officer, for he had returned the horse lent him by General Bernard, he accompanied him to a house in the Great Square, where Lord Wellington had taken up his quarters. End of chapter 18 Recording by Charles Sapp